Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Confluence Cast presented by Columbus Underground. We are a weekly Columbus-centric podcast focusing on the civics, lifestyle, entertainment, and people of our city. I'm your host, Tim Fulton. This week, I sat down with author, speaker, advocate, and mother, Akia Red. She's the founder of the blog Real Girls Fart, which, despite its name, has transformed into a movement around the stigmas of mental health. We talk about the evolution of her voice, the stigma of mental health in African-American and spiritual communities, and how to talk to your kids about trauma and mental illness. Akia will be the keynote speaker at the upcoming YWCA event, Activists and Agitators, on October 17th. You can get more information on what we discussed today in the show notes for this episode at theconfluencecast.com. Also, The Confluence Cast is on Patreon. Find out how to support this podcast on our website, theconfluencecast.com, or at patreon.com slash confluence. Enjoy the interview. Sitting down here with Akia Red, author, speaker, activist, advocate. Akia, how are you? I'm wonderful. How are you, Tim? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Akia is the founder of, I apologize if I giggle at all, Real Girls Fart. <laughs> uh, fart is an acronym. Uh, Akia, forgive me, remind us what, or remind me what the acronym stands for. Sure. It's Fearless, Authentic, Rescuer, and Trailblazer. Okay. And so talk to me about the organization and what, what Real Girls Fart is. Okay. So initially, about three, three and a half years ago, I had a nervous breakdown. And okay. um, that led me to receive a diagnosis of generalized anxiety disorder and depression. And I started blogging. Okay. And the blog was called Real Girls Fart. Um, and initially, it wasn't an acronym. It was really just the um, emphasis on us as women having imperfections. Okay. And I looked at my mental illness as something that was like an imperfection and it was something that I was going to talk about. It did not become an acronym until probably six months later. Okay. It's a thing that nobody really talks about or like yeah. it's slightly uncomfortable to talk about. Absolutely. And so you're equating uh, passing gas yeah. with mental health well, and mental health issues really right especially like in the african-american communities mm -hmm. um and then you know i was presented with the double-edged sword like I, not only am i african-american but i was also raised as a preacher's kid okay so in the religious community and in african-american communities we you know pray it away or we don't bring those types of things um to the forefront to discuss at all um and additionally no matter what culture you're from as a woman uh, even going back to like being a young girl, you are taught not to say certain things, not to do certain things um, that because they're inappropriate for a young girl to do or say certain things. And okay. so to me, I feel like I was breaking stigma in, in both ways, really. OK. And then so it was initially sort of you uh, having an outlet for things that you wanted to express and talk about how it evolved. Yeah. It, so. Initially, like I again, I used it. I used the blogging. I'm a formally trained writer. So okay. when I went to college, I, I graduated with a degree in public relations, did a lot of writing, a lot of editing. So 
I was getting back to my roots as far as writing is concerned. And I wanted to talk about the diagnosis. I wanted to talk about my journey through therapy. Mm -hmm. um, And then also like very openly about my decision to go on medication. Okay. Um, And so the more I discuss these types of things openly on a public forum, women all over the place were just like, oh my gosh, keep it coming. Please keep talking about this. And in particular, women that look like me, you Mm -hmm. know, and, and it was, um, it was really scary. It was exciting, but it was scary. And then as we move forward and I continue to talk about life and motherhood and how my diagnosis impacted even those things, mm-hmm. um, it evolved. Literally, I went to bed. I joke about this, but I literally went to bed a blogger and woke up a full time entrepreneur. I had no idea that it was going to evolve into the magnitude that it has evolved into. Yeah. I mean, because three years ago, it's not that long in terms of no. how the Internet works. Y- no, you weren't the first blogger no not at all I didn't even I didn't even know what blog like I was like what what is how do I blog like what is the platform like I didn't even know how to use WordPress okay and And so what were the how did people sort of discover you and how did that happen in terms of the community building up around you well I mean so my um, my father uh, was a pastor Mm -hmm. a very well-known pastor in the city uh, okay. here in Columbus because I'm a local here. Mm-hmm. And um, so I had a lot of people from that particular part of my life that, you know, once they saw me pop up like on social media or whatever, like they, you know, started to follow me and started reading some things. Because you weren't shy about sharing. These no, ladies. I wasn't. Not at all. And then I think from a na- more national, international level, um, my husband is a uh, former former NBA player. Okay. Um, he played for the Milwaukee Bucks and then his last year for the Phoenix Suns. Okay. He's a very famous Buckeye, Michael Red. Oh. <laughs> yeah. See, I didn't know. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> that, you know, that also, um, because he's not on social media and he okay. is very private. So that was a very interesting dynamic for me to like come full force. Like I'm, I'm going to do this. It. Right. And, yeah. And so it was a very, um, very interesting. Obviously, thing. that's been resolved at this point. But <laughs> how, how did that talk to me about how that conversation went? And of like, have you always been sort of outspoken and out there? And like, that's the dichotomy of your relationship. And so he was just sort of like, all right, this is what a key is doing. Or yeah. was it a little bit more hard? Yeah. Well, I think it was, I think inside, I've always been this super outspoken, you know, young woman. Okay. And I think that I've always been taught to shrink myself and dial that back. Okay. And so. And that goes back to the external forces, the, like church and church being a and woman of color. Yeah. And, okay. and, you know, in, in the religious community, you're also taught that, you know, women are to be quiet and we're not to be loud. And so that was very different than how I was. Like, okay. I wasn't wired that way, but yet I was being taught to be that way. And so. One of the things that actually attracted me and Michael, really me to him, is that he looked at me and saw me for who I was, and he encouraged me to use my voice. Mm -hmm. I don't think he actually thought it would come in this form, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I don't think that he foresaw these types of struggles, and, you know, I didn't even know. I went undiagnosed for years, so, um, but I think that it was something that he always saw in me and knew was going to happen. He just didn't know when or how. Okay. And, and I'm sorry, are you talking about 
the blog and sort of the self-expression you know just my advocacy my activism you know I'm very passionate about whatever I put my mind to do and um he knows that I'm very justice oriented okay and I've always been like that like that's not something that's just happened overnight that's just how I've always been hardwired um and I think coming into who I am as a woman and I think the diagnosis and then realizing that life is really short. And part of Mm -hmm. the reason why I struggled in silence for so long and I went undiagnosed for so long and why the illness got to the point where I had a nervous breakdown was because I was not using my voice. Okay. And do you see, maybe this is self-evident, but it was the blogging sort of part of your therapy of like, this is how I'm going to get this out. You know, some people go to therapy, obviously yeah. you were going to therapy, right? but that was sort of an additional part of it. Yeah. So my thought process was, okay, I'm going to go to therapy. And then for the hundreds of thousands of people, whoever, if even if it was 10 people that mm-hmm. was going to read this blog, not everybody is going to go to therapy. Okay. And so I said, well, at least like the lessons that I'm learning in therapy and the things maybe I can either one help kind of nudge them to go to therapy Mm -hmm. or two help them with what they're struggling with so that, you know, I'm that one that is that example for them. So it's not necessarily a therapeutic thing for you, but it's meant to empower and help others. Right. Always. Okay. Yep. So walk me through then how it became not just passing gas, but became the acronym. Is that sort of the, <laughs> a not basically a business opportunity that you were like, yeah, okay, yeah. here, a, and maybe even a way to define your work. Right. As you have, you know, you're always going to struggle to an extent, I imagine. Right. But uh, talk to me about that and how that evolved. So I'll never forget that day, actually. My husband and kids and I were on our way to our spring break vacation, and we were in the airport. Okay. And I remember looking at um, one of the one of my Facebook followers from way back, and it was a guy, and he said, hey, I know what this stands for. And so he kind of, like, gave me these four words mm-hmm. that – didn't really necessarily resonate with me, okay. but it put a little seed in my head and it was just like, man, that would be cool if it were an acronym and that these women could actually have a word or words to hold on to. Mm-hmm. And so I um, sat down with my family in the airport and I said, okay, guys, I said, we have an hour. Let's I brainstorm. Said, let's, let's brainstorm. And at the time, I mean, think about, so my son is what, 12 now, my daughter is eight and a half. So just subtract three and a half years from that. They yeah. were very young. Yeah. And um, and did they have any concept of what you were doing? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they thought it was they th- actually thought it was hilarious. OK. <laughs> As kids would. But I think they had mad respect, if you will, for just my boldness. So and I'm sorry, this was pretty early on. Yeah. In the, Even in, in my treatment blogging. and right. in my blog. I mean, I was newly diagnosed okay. and I was like new to the medication and new to wasn't necessarily new to therapy. I had done therapy for about probably three and a half years undiagnosed. I mean, okay. she, I think she knew. OK. But she and she did tell me, you know, I think we're going to have to probably seek some medical treatment. Yeah. Your anxiety stuff, but she never gave it a title. 
Okay. And so that allowed me, I was a little bit in denial because of, again, my upbringing. Right. Um, until I couldn't be in denial anymore. Okay. So even with therapy, it still sort of manifested more. Oh, yeah, yeah. More. Absolutely. Continued to A- manifest. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, because life was still happening and, and on top of like the trauma that I had as a child. And so I always say that if you don't deal with life, life deals with you. Yeah. And so that was what happened to me. Um, but we sat in the airport and we brainstormed uh-huh. and we came up with fearless, authentic rescuer and trailblazer. And mainly those four words, because it defines the journey that even from diagnosis until that point of okay. definition of the acronym and yeah. even even now the work that I continue to do. First and foremost, being fearless in my approach to one, share my story and to be fearless to have a platform called Real Girls Fart. Mm -hmm. I mean, that takes some that's pretty gutsy, Mm -hmm. you know, and obviously, I mean, nobody's knocking my door down to buy it from me. So (laughs) that's because you're owning it. (laughs) But that's what exactly. So um, and then the the authenticity and the realness, I think, behind me as I do share my story and as I talk to women about owning their story Mm -hmm. and the rescuer a lot of times that word gets a negative kind of representation because we're always saying you can't go in and you can't like rescue people and Mm -hmm. it gets a negative kind of thing but I look at being a rescuer as something that is not negative it's positive actually because when you're on an airplane they tell you before you can actually secure the mask of other people that mm-hmm. you put yours on, on first, right? Yeah. So you have to first rescue yourself, right? Get yourself together, and then you go back and you help somebody else. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing negative about that. There's only positive I see in right. that. And um, I think it only becomes negative when you are helping other people and not serving yourself first. Okay. So is the res- would you say then that the rescuer is not really even about other people or is is there an aspect of that I think it's I think it has this duality where I think it's about first rescuing yourself Mm -hmm. getting yourself the help that you need and then you go and you strengthen yourself enough to then go and lift your sister or your brother up and then once that's done we all come back together and we can blaze a trail we can do something that's never been done before okay and so that's where the acronym came from. So even in, and this, thank you for making the segue for me, <laughs> even in sort of that self-empowerment journey, there is a community around you. 110%. And that's where almost the R and the T come from. Yes. Okay. Yes, 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 yes. You, I would be, I would be a hot mess right now and not where I am at all today if I did not recognize my tribe Mm-hmm. that surrounded me and the interesting thing about it is is that what I'm even learning and journeying forward and kind of diving deeper even into my work mm-hmm. is that the tribe that I had three and a half four years ago when I first got diagnosed and the tribe that I have around me now or that's surrounding me now mm-hmm. it, it can look different yeah as we evolve and as we grow I think sometimes like people can got, kind of get caught up on you know, well, I don't want this to change. And the, their attachments become so like clingy and unhealthy. And we have to understand that as we evolve and as we change and as we find our voice and who we are mm-hmm. and become empowered, our tribe and our community will evolve with us. Okay. And so that sort of let, because 
So you put out a book this summer, yeah. Be Free, Be You. Yeah. And a lot of that, it seems, at least from what I've read of it, is about relationships, too. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Can mm-hmm. you talk to me about the inspiration for the book? I mean, does it talk about your mental health journey as mm-hmm. well? Talk, give me, give me the pitch on the book. <laughs> well, yeah, it does talk a lot about my mental health journey. I, I use a lot of humor and I, I talk a lot about my personal life mm-hmm. growing up because I wanted to really set the stage for individuals to understand, like, you know, I, I do have, there is a biological component to okay. my mental illness. Like mm-hmm. I understand that like everything in my life right now, um, is beautiful. Mm-hmm. But like the moment that I try to like go off of my medication, not so beautiful. OK, so I do understand that there are like there's like this balancing act and where I, I have some trauma stuff um, and then I also have a biological component. Mm-hmm. So in the book, I don't focus like too much attention on one or the other. I try to like merge the two and I talk about how it really I do that because I want people to understand that it doesn't matter really where the mental disorder or illness comes from if it's there Mm -hmm. like let's go to work and let's deal with it and for me um in the book relationships because i i think all of us as humans are just relational beings we all have a need to relate to each other and, and be related to and um, for me, a lot of the the experiences that I had that were negative were as a result of a result of, you know, failed relationships. Mm-hmm. And um, in all honesty, n- me not using my voice as not only as a woman, but as a person, as a human mm-hmm. um, in those relationships to say, hey, like this doesn't feel good. This is not serving me right. And what happens is and what happened to me is that as I lived in silence, that affected me to a place where whatever was biologically not connecting the right way, mm-hmm. it actually traumatized me even further. OK. And so I talk about a lot of that in the book. I talk about I do use a lot of um, scripture references just because for those that are listening that may not know my background, I'm a preacher's kid. Yeah. And so as a part of my journey, for me, faith has been um, a bittersweet thing for me. Yeah. Like I grew up in it and that and, and I'm not going to lie, like the church and faith like traumatized me a whole lot. OK. And so as I um, went through what I went through and, and got diagnosed and none of what I learned in church helped me at that point. OK. I got really bitter and really angry at God. And then somehow in the process of all of the therapy and the medication and the healing and realizing that it wasn't God, it was like people's versions of God Mm -hmm. and how they presented him to me. And so that's why I use so many scriptures because I'm like, okay, this is what this means to me. This is how it relates to me. But I also give a caveat in the book. I say, man, if you're not a religious person, a spiritual person, just look past that because there's so much more in-depth kind of information you can take away from the book besides just the scripture. And did you keep a relationship with the church while this was all going on? Or did you sort of, it sounds like you're back with the church now. I'm just curious if sort of it was a time outside of the church and then you realized, oh, I can be there. Or are you talking about sort of just an evolving relation? Not, I'm not demeaning it at all. No, no, no. An evolving relationship. No, I think for me, it was more so an evolving relationship. I am not, you know, affiliated with any church. Okay. Um, 
right now. Um, my husband and I do like what we call like a small group mm -hmm. from time to time. And we meet and we talk about life and, you know, the Bible may come up, it may not come up, but we yeah. just talk about life. And to me, community fellowshipping with each other is really what it's all about showing love mm -hmm. and inclusion of people. I think that's really what it's all about. And so, um, I don't, I don't necessarily call myself, I'm not a religious person. Okay. I just know that I do believe in God. I'm a person of faith and well, and you reference scripture in your yeah, book. I and mean, I, it's, I, yeah, you are a religious person. Well, You're just right. not a member, of a not church. a member of a church. Right. And I'm not. And I think for me, when I say a religious person, I look at it like sometimes religion or religious person can be associated with like this dogma mm -hmm. of like, you cannot, you should not. And that's why I kind of try to separate myself from that because for me, my relationship to the scripture is from an evolving relationship that I personally have with God, not from what I learned in the church. Right. That's interesting. So I wanted to circle back on something you referenced earlier with your kids. Like they knew what you were doing. Yeah. And you know, I just, full disclosure, you know, my mother had mental health issues and like that was something I remember very specifically when that was presented to me Yeah, as like, this is what I'm going through. Mm -hmm. This is, this is the trauma aspect of it. This is the medical aspect of it. Exactly. And that was super important and, yeah. and helpful to learn. I'm curious how that conversation happened in your house. Well, it, it sounds very similar okay. to the conversation that your mom had with you and um, my, both of my kids, um, are, you know, diagnosed with attention deficit disorder, which is, you know, obviously it's a learning mm -hmm. disability. It's not really a mental, you know, health disorder per se Yeah, that it can kind of, you know, have some anxiety and things like that. Um, but my son actually, you know, middle school is, I've never met anybody who's ever said I love middle school. <laughs> so middle school has been, you know, rough yeah. and, and it, you know, from as long as I can remember, it's always been rough. So he, um, he went through his own stuff and mm -hmm. I started seeing, um, some things surface with him that made me say, huh, I probably need to go get him, you know, check, checked out. And yeah. so that, caused me to have even a, a more deep dive with him about the mental health discussion and like, how are you feeling today? Mm -hmm. and like, you know, any thoughts of this, any thoughts of that hurting yeah. yourself, you know, just because with real girls fart, the platform, we're trying to turn this into a dinner table conversation, right? Like this yeah. is just an everyday thing. Like this happens just like we talk to kids about diabetes and heart disease. Yeah. We want to be able to talk to them about mental illness. Yeah. And um, and as we start to see the statistics rise, like that's going to be an even more important conversation. And then also not just the mental illness aspect of it, but the importance of self-care, mm -hmm. loving themselves, finding their voices, using their voices in appropriate ways. Yeah. Well, and the initiative at Nationwide Children's Hospital is a testament to that as right. well on our sleeves. On our sleeves, is that yeah, what it's called? That's what it is. Yeah, that's yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Good job. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> I remember numbers too. Um, I guess sort. Of, I guess sort of what I'm asking is: is did they get it and did they understand it? Yes, they. Even they did. that young. Yeah, they did. Um, one of the things that I was very careful vocabulary with children is everything. Yep. 
So, but we also can't treat children like they're idiots and that they don't know anything. Trust and believe that they know, like when people, when parents ask me, well, like, how do you know when it's the right time? Well, then you've already passed it. Okay. If you're asking me that question of like, how do I know when it's the right time? Well, now it's the right time. It's been the right time. Yeah. So I say that to say that with vocabulary with my children, like I let them know that there's a difference between depression and sadness. There's a difference Mm -hmm. between being nervous and anxiety. Yep. So we have to like use proper terminology for things so that when they come home from school and they say, um, you know, I had a really bad day. They know the difference between, and I'm sad. Yeah. But they also understand that if that sadness or that numbness or that feeling of like nothing continues, mm-hmm. that that's something that like, okay, um, this is depression. That's yeah. what that looks like. So I think just being very open with them, very um, So you're particular. saying regular rather than basically sugarcoat it oh, God, and say yeah. like, What's wrong with mom? Well, mommy's sad. Yeah, that's the worst thing you could do because it it reinforces the stigma Mm -hmm. and the lack of education surrounding mental illness. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. So we're here actually on the occasion of the event that you're going to be speaking at. Yeah. October 17th, uh, activists and agitators at YWCA. So excited which is their annual evening fundraiser. Mm-hmm. Can you sort of talk about what folks can expect at that event and what what it's all about? Sure. So, well, I mean, I'll be there first and foremost, there as you, you said. <laughs> the Akia Red. Tell people what they can expect at the event as a whole, in addition to your keynote. Yeah, okay. So on the evening, I'll be talking about how women can find their voices, not only like within the community. I know that that's a huge aspect, obviously, because it's called activists and agitators. Mm -hmm. And I do see myself as somebody who is activating and agitating in the community. Um, But I, I do think we also want women to understand after this evening, how they can find their voices in their own personal lives okay. in their own spheres of influence. And it doesn't have to necessarily be on a big stage or a huge community thing. How can I find my voice in my relationship with my partner? How can I find my voice in my space with my kids or in my classroom with my students? Like whatever space that these event attendees are occupying, mm-hmm. how can they find their voice? How can they let it out and into the community and make change that really matters. Um, and I think it's going to be amazing because I'm also going to be surrounded with other fearlessly powerful women. Okay. Uh, I mean, who doesn't love like Jenny from Jenny's ice cream, right? Like Jenny I hope she's Brittenbauer. bringing like some, you know, ice cream samples. That would be awesome as like some swag, like mm-hmm. <laughs> some Jenny's swag. But then also Fran from Rise, Sister Rise, right? And I've never had the the privilege of meeting her, but I like started stalking her on social. Mm-hmm. And like her initiative is absolutely amazing. And then also Nina West will be performing and also will be speaking as well. And I, I think the overall, again, theme of the night is how all of us have found our voices mm-hmm. and how we've been so lucky to have been able to let them out in the community to make change. Yeah. And so I assume that speak, this is not your first rodeo in terms of like speaking at an event. No. Okay. How, not well. Uh, outside of church. Yes. <laughs> oh, okay. So, yeah. cause I was going to ask how else has the, this, I'm going to call it a movement 
mm-hmm. how else has it manifested in addition to there's the blog, there's yeah. the social media interaction mm-hmm. that you do, there's the book. Yeah. But this is sort of the biggest the, public appearance. Yes, as far as me and Real Girls Fart being featured as like the feature speaker. Yeah. Yes, which makes YWCA such an amazing partner because we've joined up, like synced up, and our initiatives are very much aligned. Yeah. Now, um, this past summer with Nationwide Children's On Our Sleeves, I was the keynote for the um, Woody Hayes. Okay. And the uh, pay it forward gala, but that was more so focused on, you know, the on our sleeves. This particular event on October 17th is like, okay, YWCA, Kia Red, like we're coming together, we're gonna help empower these women and like set them on fire. And that's really what it's about. Great. And so, what are there additional things that the way this movement is manifesting then? Is is it pretty? Am I hitting the three legs of the stool, I guess? Is it, you know, the blog, social media, and yeah. the book? Yeah, the blog, social media, the book. Book two will be out in the fall. Oh, wow. Yeah, so basically what I've what I've done is after experiencing what I experienced with my son, who's a middle schooler, and the stories that I hear from the women mm-hmm. that have, you know, kids that are Michael's age, my son's age, and yeah. their girls – Oh my gosh, my daughter, you know, and, and the book is not overly complicated to where a middle schooler can read it. However, in the middle school edition of the book, because we know that mental illness, those diagnoses tend to spike at the age 12 and in particular eating disorders, you see a huge rise in that. Okay. So I thought that it would be just amazing for us to be able to write a book that focuses more in depth on specific things and really honing in on that vocabulary, which what we talked about okay. a few minutes ago, um, to give these girls vocabulary, wording, also affirmations, activities. So this is a book. For, this is not a parenting book. This no, is a this book is a for, middle for okay. specifically for middle school girls. Got it. And there will be girls that, I mean, as we see statistics starting to drop lower in the age range, there can be girls that, you know, have a, a higher reading level that could probably like, yeah. decide to read it if they were nine. But specifically, we're focusing on girls probably between the ages of 12, 15. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's great. That's yeah, great. So Cool. So because of the book that I started writing for middle schoolers mm-hmm. or middle school girls, it also set me up to start this foundation called the Real Girls Foundation, Okay, which is a nonprofit, obviously, form of Real Girls Fart, but it is very separate, you know, again, but it just, um, I did have that idea to start that because I wanted to be able to provide programming for middle school girls to tie in with the book that will be released in the fall, which is another great thing that aligns me with the YWCA as well because they've just revamped their program Bright Futures and that is specifically for middle school girls as well. Okay. So we are hoping that you will see more of us together in the future. Fantastic. And so what's the is the funding from the book going into the foundation? Like how's that? Yeah, so pretty much um you're talking about with Real Girls Fart, right? And the Real Girls Foundation. Foundation, Yeah. Yeah. So 
one, we haven't decided that yet. We okay. haven't talked about the details of that yet and what our partnership will look like in terms of bright futures, but, um, and real girls foundation. But I think that we're going to have a lot of great synergy where that is concerned. Cool. That makes sense that you're raising funds for your foundation. Where do the funds for the e- that evening on October 17th go? So the funding for the activists and agitators go to the Bright Futures program and also their other program called the Leadership for Social Change, which okay. is for women particularly just starting out their careers. Okay. So both very wonderful causes. I'm excited to be a part of it. One well, certainly aligned with what you're doing. So. Yeah, I can't be more excited. It's amazing. Good. Akia, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me, Tim. Thank you for listening to the Confluence Cast presented by Columbus Underground. Again, you can get more information on what we discussed today in the show notes for this episode at theconfluencecast.com. Please rate, subscribe, share this episode of the Confluence Cast with your friends, family, contacts, enemies, your favorite blogger. If you're interested in sponsoring the Confluence Cast, get in touch with us. We can be reached by email at info at theconfluencecast.com. Our theme music was composed by Benji Robinson. Our producer is Philip Cogley. I'm your host, Tim Fulton. Have a great week.